Howdy, howdy. Welcome back to I Don't Know. I'm Gabe Garber, your host, as usual, and breaking with the recent trend, I am unaccompanied this week, so we are reverting back to the original formatting of a solo, rambly exploration of some topic that may or may not have been decided on beforehand. If you enjoyed the conversations I had with Chelsea and Clay, so episode six and seven, respectively, no worries. My goal is to continue to have guests on throughout, and I've got a big list of friends and stuff that I'm hoping to call on. Right now, it's just kind of the logistics of it all, sorting out timing, scheduling, and all of that. So stay tuned for more of that content. And in the meantime, I do want to make sure to kind of maintain some momentum with these one-man shows, I guess. I'm even noticing, having taken a few weeks off of running this on my own, that it feels a little bit awkward to get back into it and to get out of my own way while I'm doing this. So bear with me. That's maybe a message more for myself than anyone else. But yeah, so I have also noticed that, you know, taking the the opportunities to speak with Chelsea, speak with Clay as they came up was a good idea for me, but it's also meant that I'm essentially stockpiling ideas that I want to explore. And the thing about having the list of topics or themes, it's nice to have at the same time the generation of those ideas vastly outpaces my ability to hop on and record my thoughts and ideations. So I'm, I'm realizing that I'm amassing a lot of ideas and sometimes the thought and the energy that, that propels that into my mind is hard to tap back into at a different time. So I'm doing my best to, to document those and trying not to be difficult on myself, but also what I'm noticing and recognizing is that just because I have them kind of stored doesn't mean that they're accessible on call or, you know, at, at whatever whim of my own I have. So it might not be as easy to access the underlying motivation of a particular topic at a particular time. So it's hard to rely on those in any specific manner. But I guess the idea is just I'll, I'll keep jotting them down and hopefully at some point through the process of revisiting them, one of them will, will strike up an energy within me that will compel me to hop in here, record some thoughts on it, and yeah, we'll just go from there. So I've had similar experiences within writing music where, you know, sometimes really getting that first initial sketch is all I can really get down at that point in time. And at a certain point of kind of losing a bunch of those by not having a system in place to capture even the basic sketches, I, I was stressing myself out by kind of losing these ideas or missing them or letting them kind of slip away. And what I've found in the intermediate phase was, okay, if I implement a system of capturing that sketch, I don't have to worry as much about forgetting them or yeah, letting them slip away in that sense. But what I end up with very quickly is a stockpile of sketches that 
need more, you know, in this case, it might just be an idea or a phrase or a, a concept that I heard somewhere and want to explore further and flesh them out. So the idea for this, it's not like I'm just coming on here and listing out phrases at a time without expounding on them. So they all require a bit more processing. And the, the requirements for running that process of expanding it are steeper than maybe getting that initial sketch down. And so that makes it a little difficult, especially as, as the sketches pile up, then I'm faced with recognizing like uh, an ever-expanding pool of essentially unprocessed ideas and concepts. So it's a workload, it's there, there's a bottleneck there. And yeah, I don't know, I guess I'm just kind of struggling with that a bit. It's a good problem to have, I guess, but it shows me that there's maybe an imbalance of organized kind of production. And it's again on the logistical side of things that until I create enough time and capacity to sit down and read through the list, find something that speaks to me at that point in time enough to to run that process of expanding and exploring like I'm doing now to the point that it's, you know, worthy of, of releasing until I can build that process up and solidify it, kind of stabilize it, then I'm constantly going to be in that state of of generating much more sketches than I'm able to keep up with. And so without turning off that capture mechanism entirely, because I think it is important when ideas come to have some system in place that allows me to jot them down if I think they're important enough, I'm still stuck in the position of needing to run the more in-depth process and more time costly process of doing this in some form or another. So I've had the experience of that with some musical things, especially with an oxy of capturing the initial sketch, the initial idea so that it, I don't forget it. And then because of, of time constraints at that point in time of capture, not really being able to hop on and ride the wave entirely and see it all the way through. And it can sometimes feel like I've abandoned ideas, but I know from experience that the value of capturing them, even in the sketch form, is that at some point in time later on, I might revisit it and it might spark that same energy, or I might, for whatever reason, things might align to where I might hear an idea that I sketched out a year ago, and it's just the basic sketch, but then for whatever reason, the 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 headspace that I'm in when I hear it a day, random day, a year later, compels me to jump in again. And I have the time, I have the energy, I'm in the right headspace to capitalize on that and finally work my way through that process. So I'm finding myself in a similar situation here with, with the podcast, with, with the concepts that I want to explore. The idea machine, the sketch machine is, is running full capacity so to speak. And I mean, again, that's, it requires less, like that's just kind of the default mode that I'm operating in. If I'm doing dishes or, you know, taking in information, whether it's other podcasts or movies, music, books, et cetera, et cetera, conversations I'm having, I'm generating ideas and, and certain things stand out. So it's important to me that I continue to sketch those whenever I need to, whenever something pops out at me. But what I think what I think I'm realizing is that I might need to dedicate a bit more of my resources of, of time and energy and attention towards running some level of process of, of reviewing these things and 
potentially running them through the full gamut, sitting down, recording, exploration of them. And sometimes you got to just let go of ones that no longer speak to you at all, or at least find a way to prioritize them. But that's even another kind of slippery slope that I contend to get caught up in, which is the like organization of the sketches and getting hung up on what's the right way to, to arrange the, these things that are kind of just lying in wait, waiting for me to pick it up and, and run it through the process. Getting too caught in the weeds of organizing, I've, I've found is also a way of maybe avoiding the bigger process of sitting down and exploring, fleshing out the ideas that requires much more kind of focused attention. And, you know, even writing step down is helpful. Taking time to open-endedly write helps flesh out a lot of the, the kind of fuzzy details and stuff and, and make connections that I otherwise wouldn't if it's just sitting in its purest sketch form. So I'm saying all this now as maybe just a, a, an accountability, you know, a commitment to, to being more accountable to myself to running some of these intermediate processes. And hopefully with the idea that it'll help kind of pass some of these sketches into the next phase and kind of start chipping away at the, at the backlog and also just reflecting, taking time to kind of review some of that capture stack gives you a chance to maybe recognize some overlap where if one idea pops up on a Sunday and then later that week on a Friday, there's there's a different somewhat related idea that when I'm in the headspace on Friday, that idea pops up and it doesn't immediately connect. But But taking some regular, consistent time to review the ideas, the sketches that I have taken down with some regularity gives me the opportunity to maybe make those connections and, and combine certain things into more of an outline for something. So that might give me a little bit more meat to work with. So yeah, saying that now as, as an attempt to commit to holding myself accountable. And yeah, I wanted to talk about preciousness and kind of treating my work with kid gloves and just maybe being like overprotective about my work at times. And that one, again, in days previous when I was thinking about it, it, it felt much more resonant with me. But today, especially as I'm sitting down to do that, it, it's much more elusive. And so again, I might just add that one to the stack and hopefully the headspace will, will find me again down the road and I will make it a point to explore that and maybe it'll come up organically within within the conversation that I may have with a friend down the road as well. So there's always always that chance. The thing that is more on my mind today is from a chat that I heard yesterday on Clubhouse. Andy Miller from the Creative Pep Talk podcast and his partner Ryan Appleton just started a podcast network called CoLoop. That's C-O hyphen L-O-O-P, co-loop.co online. So you can see the full, full lineup, but they hosted a room within Clubhouse to talk about the future of creative podcasts in general. Storytelling kind of being one of the main topics that was, was covered. One of the shows on the network is called You Are All Storytellers. Let me make sure that that's right. Oh, You Are a Storyteller. 
So that was Jesse Bryan and Brian McDonald, both of Belief Agency based out of Seattle. They were on this in this room with Andy and just kind of talking about cutting to the heart of storytelling, the the need for it or the I guess the purpose of storytelling and recognizing that as the necessary realization that we need to understand that stories serve a purpose of expressing some survival mechanism, some information that is geared towards our survival. And once we kind of reckon with that and realize that, then the the onus is put on us as, you know, if we want to tell a story, then we have to figure out what it is that we're trying to say, what we want to express, what what experience that we overcame or survived are we trying to find a way to communicate and convey important information from that experience? And that was kind of the, the empowering aspect of it was that we all have experiences that we've overcome, that we've survived. And finding a way to communicate that is at the heart of any good story. But it's difficult. And until you kind of figure out for yourself what what that information is for you that's that's specific to your experience to your history what have you overcome and what about that situation are you trying to find a way to express yeah just i found that very empowering and inspiring and it made me think about a lot of stuff that i still find very challenging i feel like some of what i talked about with with chelsea especially is maybe the lower level dimension of some of the work that I've been doing or the practices that I've been doing. And I know I've touched on my history as a musician where my focus has mostly been on the the form of it or, you know, the practice and the technique. And, and when writing music, it was mostly driven by a need to convey technical prowess. And that was the, the value that I, that I put at the top of the hierarchy for when I was writing and creating. And as a result of doing the doing the beats project it kind of expanded my idea of what what being a, a, a composer or writer could be with music uh, whereas the you know the technique wasn't always at the forefront on on the days that I didn't feel playful within that that musical space but committing to still laying some ideas down really gave me the the ability to look back and recognize how expressive those days were in a dimension that I wasn't used to to flexing as a musician. And so we kind of touched on it. Chelsea and I were talking about our our past, our history, all the work we've done is is the the groundwork that supports us, the foundation of our work moving forward. And I think with that idea in mind, this learning about the storytelling or just kind of stepping back and getting this perspective kind of unlocked that or maybe not even unlocked, but but put words to something that I felt like I was maybe starting to recognize a yearning for for myself that making music that was just really focused on the technique wasn't doing it for me anymore and and starting to notice different ways of trying to expand beyond that. And so in this sense, just thinking of the idea of, of telling a story, finding what it is that you want to say. If I look back at the beats, it's like the beats themselves didn't say anything. They were just the notes that were laid down 
and arranged in a specific way. It was the form, but it wasn't really telling much of any kind of a story. And that's fine. That differentiates that practice as more of a practice, as more of a habit of, you know, for a lot of musicians, the idea of shedding is just that like honing of a, of a skill. And so I think that's important to maintain and it's important to maybe mix that up to give yourself a few different things in, in, you know, however you organize that and arrange that is fine. It doesn't matter. But having the consistent practice in one form or another that's regular and consistent, that builds up the skills, that generates, in my case, all of these kind of more fully fledged sketches as opposed to just a, a basic melody idea. And these are, you know, rhythmic patterns. But I guess through doing those and doing that regularly, I now have a pool of rhythmic skeletons to draw from that might help tell a different story or tell a story that I, you know, I still have to find that. I still have to figure out what it is that I'm trying to say, that I want to say. But once I figure that out, then I'm not starting from ground zero. I'm starting from the foundation that I've been laying my entire life. So I I think that's kind of the thing that unlocked for me the most was the necessity to do some digging and trying to figure out what story it is that I want to tell. And they talked a little bit about how if we take the time to maybe identify a few very like monumental works of art for you over your life. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, for me, it's like there's, I can point out Ben Folds 5, Whatever Never Amen was something that I discovered very early on, like I think third or fourth grade. It was when Brick came out. It was a big hit, but I got the full album and just fell in love with the rest of it. The harmonies, the arrangements of it. Fairly simple, but just like the harmony especially was something that I forever took with me. And I can listen back to that. And similar with, you know, going back through my own beats and, and hearing them with a different set of ears after time passed. Hearing these albums, so many other things are uncovered by listening to something that's so familiar with a new set of ears, so to speak, because that's, you know, more experience of living that I've gone through between listening to it for the very first time and for the umpteenth time, you know? I might hear something entirely new, you know, these connections that I wouldn't have seen until now finally become obvious, or, you know, there, there's so many ways of doing that. That's, that's one thing. Or the movie adaptation stands out to me. Or I Heart Huckabees, they both were very prominent and formative and when i rewatch them now there's still something very core that they speak to in me and because they're so familiar that level of depth that has always been there allows me to maybe revisit them in a familiar vulnerable way and potentially discover some some new make some new connections with it that that might unlock something more within myself so yeah jesse and brian we're talking about how how these things, if, if you revisit or, or notice that, like the things that resonated with you very early on, and if they still hold that much weight for you, there, there's a good chance that whatever those messages were, whatever, if you, can, if you can distill down and whittle down what it is about those things that they were trying to tell or figure out what the story was that Ben Folds was writing about, that Charlie Kaufman was writing about, that David O. Russell was writing or directing, I guess, about then there's a good chance that whatever that story was for them is indicative of something that is the story that 
I'm wanting to tell because it resonated with me as a viewer or as a listener or as a, you know, a consumer for whatever reason. So it stuck with me and it, it connected with me. And so there's, there's value in recognizing that. And the thing is now it's, it's how do I, what do I do with that? And, and how do I, you know, maybe either put my own spin on that or tell it from a different angle, but that's, it's kind of impossible not to tell something from a different angle because that, that is the virtue of the individual is we are all looking at something from different perspectives and different angles. And so even if I, even if I set out to just use the formula of these people of, you know, if I set out to write an album, record an album, and the constraint was that it needed to be arranged for piano, bass, and drums, and three vocals, just very like bare bones, matching the the Ben Folds 5 aesthetic, and whittled down whatever they're kind of, you know, the concepts they were singing about, and, and tried to do that myself. It might sound, it might have stylistic things that are sounded, that sound similar, but I couldn't, I couldn't match that exactly. Or I guess, okay, for the sake of this comparison, let's let's just say I set out to to like cover an album and do it as as high fidelity as I could and just wanted to match it. Do a cover album, tribute album, whatever it is. There's still going to be something distinct about my version of it. And so I guess that's kind of the thing. It's like I sometimes get hung up with the idea that I have to generate something entirely novel in order to satisfy my own needs or like that that's the standard I've set for myself is to not only create something but to generate something entirely new and that's such a daunting task that I've found it to be so crippling at times more often than not it's crippling it's you know and that's such such a dangerous standard to set because it also misses the point that whatever similarities there may be it'd be impossible for me not to inject something of my own into it. And that's the thing that's harder for me to connect with and access. But I think that's the thing that really, really kind of unlocks it and is more motivating or encouraging to just do it. And that maybe kind of wraps back in the idea of preciousness, where if I don't meet that standard of generating something entirely brand new, then my instinct is to protect that and to keep it close to me so that, I don't know if it's, if it's maybe a matter of like fearing the judgment or, you know, but it's all self-imposed. All of that is put on, I'm doing that to myself. Those are my standards that I'm holding and they're not serving me if my aim is to create because, you know, maybe the, maybe the aspiration is still lofty and trying to be as out there and you know brand new and novel and whatever unique as possible and it's not to say that's not attainable but it's certainly not attainable in one step and that's that's such a challenge for me and yeah so i don't know i guess trying to let's go back to the the clubhouse thing that that really kind of provided me with this this context to to really explore of really digging deep to try to figure out what is the story that you want to tell? And linking that back to the idea that a story is something that, or stories in general, is is a technology that we are equipped with as humans as a means of conveying, expressing, communicating lessons that we've learned that we believe were 
integral to our survival of some experience or experiences. And again, it's empowering because everyone has overcome something. Everyone has survived something. And this was the point they hammered on. And it was, you know, it was, it was powerful to hear. It's also, you know, to be clear, like, depending on your lot in life, you may overcome something and then you may have the opportunity and the luxury to be able to to go back and dwell on that and dig into whatever it was. You may have the luxury to be able to sit back and think about it and and relive it and and just imagine it and go through it. Or you may be faced immediately with another adversity that you have to overcome. And once you overcome that, you may be faced with yet another one. And that I don't think anybody wants that life. And that's not to so I guess I, I, I really only bring that up to acknowledge that there's so much fortune to be in a position to even take the time to look back and explore those situations. It's a privilege, honestly. And and recognizing that, I think the way to take that is not to, you know, flagellate yourself. It's it's it puts more of a burden on those with the privilege to find a way to make use of it. It you know, in this case, if it's something you overcame and you think there's value to sharing that story, then yeah, I think it's imperative that you do because these all kind of have to come from specific experiences and your specific experience as an individual. Like I think if you fail to to tap into whatever specifics it was of your situation that you overcame that you survived, it won't have as much depth and resonance for other people to grasp onto. And it might also feel counterintuitive to say, well, what does it matter? It's my specific experience. How is that going to translate to others? And this was another one of those things that Jesse and Brian hammered on is that, again, we're operating. We all understand that everybody has had some adversity that they've, they've had to weather. We've all overcome something. And with mirror neurons and and just the way our psychology is, we tend to, when we hear someone's own story, the way we understand that and internalize that is by mapping it on to something that's familiar to us. And so if you leave that generic, if you, you know, if you look back to a very specific situation that you overcame and you leave the details hazy and generic, you know, it might capture some people's attention, but it it won't map on in in any sort of deep, meaningful way. But if you can get to the heart of it, if you can really trace it down, and this is the difficult part because a lot of that they they also use the phrase something something similar to paraphrase. The antidote is often very near to the poison, and so I mean, this to me was just like you have to be willing to explore the dark side. You know, you have to look at at the darkness. You can't shut it out. You can't ignore it as much as you want to, as enticing as it is to ignore the darkest aspects of yourself. The closer you can get to that and, and you know, poke and prod around and, and try to figure out that, that information that's the most valuable is the most specific to your experience. But it's the most valuable because of how specific it is. Each detail in specificity will be another detail that will be interpreted and internalized by the listener and be mapped on, you know, every every specific instance is not going to map on 100% to their experience. But as a symbolic representation, the more specific you can get, it doesn't 
your specific experience does not have to be the experience of the other person for that to map on. And I would actually imagine that that doesn't really have much of an effect on how much that maps on, but the level of specificity would, because at each point, the listener is is trying to map that onto their own personal experience. And so the, the level of it or the degree of specificity matters because the closer you can get to whatever it was that felt like that morsel of truth that got you through that situation, the level of specificity will map on in the same maybe shape or in the same level in the sa- to the same degree as that gets mapped on to someone else. And so there's a vulnerability that's expressed there. There's also a, an honesty, you know, if, if you keep a distance when you're expressing that, you know, it's kind of like keeping your guard up, then however close you get to the thing that you're trying to express is the same closeness, is the same proximity that they will map onto themselves. I don't think if you stick to a surface level assessment and expression of, of your experience of adversity, of overcoming that, of surviving that, if you only express that at a superficial level, it's very unlikely that you will have the effect on someone that it cuts so deep to them and and resonates down to their core. But if you share something that resonates down to your core, then, you know, it still might not reach that, but, but it definitely won't reach to someone else's core if it's not coming from your core. And that you're kind of establishing the boundaries of how, how deep that might pierce into someone else as they internalize your story and map it onto their own. So the deeper you're willing to communicate your own version of, of your story that you connect with, the deeper you go with it, the deeper the potential for that to be mapped on for someone else. And in contrast, the, the more superficial you remain if you try to tell the story and it's vague and it's ambiguous and it doesn't point to anything that's... It, it, it maintains a distance in order to protect your own vulnerability that's the extent of depth that you can expect to pierce the listener. No amount of internalizing and, and personalizing on their end could make up that difference. And so it's important to know what, again, what you're trying to convey, what your story is that you're trying to tell. And so I, I don't know, I'm kind of coming up on a hard stop now, and I didn't really even get to the thing that this initially caused me to think about, but I can maybe leave it at the end was just the idea that this this focus on doubt and uncertainty that I've attached to, to some extent, it's not, maybe not attachment is not the right word, but this thing that I'm committing to explore, the, the lens through which this podcast is operating is kind of embracing that doubt and accepting it. And so I still struggle as I try to figure out what is the story that I want to tell. And if you were to ask me that, my answer very likely would be some form of saying, I don't know. And what I'm starting to realize slowly is that whenever I say I don't know as an answer, whenever, whenever I'm asked that question, like what is, or if I ask myself the question, what story do I want to tell? And I respond by saying I don't know. The association in my mind has, up until very recently, been that saying the words I don't know is not an answer. It is avoiding answering. It is an admission that I don't know. It is an absence of an answer to that question. And I think about the idea that what is a canyon? Is a canyon the contours of the mountain 
on either side, you know, two walls that are, are carved out of mountain. Is that the contour of that rock? Is that what a canyon is? Yeah, sure. Is a canyon the, the gap, the amount of air, the space between those things whose, whose boundaries are the same contours, the same, you know, but, but inverted? Yes, that too. I guess the idea of a canyon for us is not only the contours of the solid mass, but it's also the contours, the like inverse contours of the space between those two walls. And so I'm realizing that framing the answer or framing the response, I don't know, as an absence of an answer and holding myself accountable to, you know, maybe feeling guilty of, of not being able to provide an answer is the result that comes from that. But what I'm recognizing is that maybe that is the answer and and there's more or, or or maybe that it's both i guess it's it's both an absence of an answer but it is an answer in and of itself and there is value in acknowledging that which is what i'm attempting to do by having this podcast and naming it idk i don't know i'm owning that and it's as i've touched on very early on it's 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 a tricky thing to find a balance that's healthy because if you lean too far into saying, I don't know, then then that is just kind of an avoidance mechanism. It's an avoidance pattern or, or a way to kind of a cop out, I guess. And that I you don't want to lean too far in that direction and dive headfirst into the abyss. And so it's a struggle, I guess, for me is to find that balance to figure out I am admitting to some amount of ignorance in answering that way. I don't exactly know what the story is that I'm trying to tell. And also, the story I'm trying to tell right now, or the story I need to tell right now, is one of not knowing and of doubt. And so the aspect of not knowing is what kind of motivates me to continue to look for answers to that question. But because there's things that I don't know, or I don't feel like I know enough to claim with any certainty, that doesn't mean that I have to abandon all that I do know, or the value that I have learned in accepting and embracing and owning that uncertainty. And so I guess maybe I'll leave it at that for this week. Um, this was a little bit more long-winded than I thought, but actually feel like it was a lot of fun to explore. We'll see what it sounds like on the back end. But again, thank you all for tuning in, and I hope hope you can find something of value to this. And I guess, yeah, it would be remiss if I didn't shout out again, thanks to Andy Miller and Ryan Appleton for, for putting this on. But it was really thought-provoking. Uh, introduced me to new new stuff that I'm excited to dig into. And yeah, so it was, um, let's see, Co-Loop Co is the podcast network that they're starting. So Creative Pep Talk is what Andy's been doing for, I think, six years now, which is kind of insane. And then... Yeah, some of the people on there, and I, I kind of totally just glanced over all of this, like Yoni Wolf from the band Y, and along with solo stuff, was was also in the room talking about his podcast, The Wandering Wolf, where, you know, he started it when he was on tour and would be visiting with friends and, and other musicians and artists and stuff and having conversations while he was on the road. Obviously, that's not been possible this last year, but he is, I think, rebooting that show, and that'll be on Co-Loop Network. And yeah, you are a storyteller with Jesse Bryan and Brian McDonald. This was my first time hearing of them, and it was 
it was just great. They talked about, you know, the very first episode of their show talks about um, the, the most essential component of any story. It's called the armature. Um, it's, it's what holds everything up. The, you know, that, the groundwork, kind of what, what Chelsea and I were talking about again. It's the foundation. And, and so I haven't even dug in yet, but I'm, I'm really excited to check that one out. I would recommend it even without having heard it. Hearing them speaking more casually within the, the clubhouse room was inspiring. And like I said, it, it was provocative in all the right ways for me. It put different words and allowed me to kind of reprocess some of the stuff that I've been dwelling on and trying to figure out for myself. And yeah, it was very valuable. So again, just shout out to all of those people. There's people I left off that I had no intention of doing that. But thanks, Andy and Ryan for for hosting it and putting it out there and Yoni and Jesse and Brian for participating and, and sharing. So very valuable and you should check them out. That's co-loop.co for the network. There's several other shows as well that I'm sure if they're anything as interesting as as the rest of these sounded, they, they'll be great. So yeah, again, I, I'm just shifting to audio only here. I think that's just going to be the best bang for the buck for for what I'm trying to do in terms of my capacities right now. And I appreciate it. You can check it out wherever you listen to podcasts. You want to leave a review, it would be super helpful. But if not, just, you know, do whatever. Listen, like, subscribe, do all those whatever things that, you know, I haven't quite yet wrapped into a succinct tag. Thanks again for, for tuning in. I will be back next week, maybe with a guest, maybe not. We'll see. But again, as I said at the top, I do aim to have more people on because I find those conversations really, really helpful, really eye-opening. And again, it's just back to that idea of these different perspectives. By default, nobody can view the world from the same perspective as you can. And so there's there's always more to learn. And that's the exciting bit of of embracing the unknown. And I hope to be able to explore that with with friends, family, loved ones, strangers, whoever. I am excited to hopefully get to share some space and listen to, to other people's perspectives. So until next time, I'm Gabe Garber. And as always, I still don't know. <laughs>